is an Odyssey original. This is KNX In-Depth. I'm Rob Archer. And I'm Elsa Ramon. In for Charles Feldman today, we are going to be looking at Tropical Storm, a possible tropical storm for Southern California. First time ever. We go in-depth into what you need to know to stay safe and what's being done to prepare for the worst. We'll also go in-depth later into why so many adults are doing things like smoking pot, binge drinking, taking hallucinogenics. We'll find out why they're doing that. But first, we're going to start with Hurricane Hillary. What is left of this storm could hit inland and the desert areas of Southern California exceptionally hard. Eric Sherwin is with the San Bernardino County Fire Department to talk to us about what we might need to look out for. Eric, as Southern Californians and even those who are in the IE and the OC, we don't particularly know how to prepare for these. We don't have to very often. So what's the number one thing you want to tell people as the storm approaches? Uh, good afternoon. Thanks for having me. Yes, the uh, the number one thing to do is to begin to prepare. And that's a great question. How do we do that? Residents within the Inland Empire are very used to flash floods, more commonly associated with the summer monsoonal season. However, the remnants of Hillary are going to have a much wider impact across the Inland Empire. And I imagine point, some of the biggest yeah. danger is going to be you've got to watch out for the flood, uh, the, the flood watches and the flooding conditions. Yes, and that's a great tip, is to begin to, to prepare and pay attention to what the National Weather Service is saying as far as what the, the ultimate track of Hillary is going to be as it makes its way into the Inland Empire. Okay, some of the things uh, that are going to be obvious for people to look out for is, of course, the massive amounts of rain uh, some areas are expected to get, especially in Riverside County and Orange County and the desert areas, Coachella Valley. And people know, hopefully at this point, if they see standing water on the road, turn around, don't drown, don't tempt fate there. But there are some other concerns when it comes to tropical storms and hurricanes. The uh, number one uh, cause of death and injury is flooding and another one, wind. What are some of the effects of some of the damaging winds that could happen? So with wind, uh, we typically we're, we're beginning to enter our Santa Ana season as we, we get into the uh, late summer and early fall months. However, this wind is going to come from the opposite direction. So, yes, wind uh, does play a factor more likely with our high profile vehicles. But again, you touched on it, it's going to be the rain. Unlike the monsoonal rains, we're looking at a, a longer duration, heavy intensity precipitation event, where when our roads do become flooded, it's not gonna disappear in the next half hour. It could persist for several hours with damage to the road surfaces. And uh, make it real for us. And we're talking uh, flooding, and of course, we've had flooding before before tropical storm watches and hurricanes and what have you. Uh, what's it like? What What is the biggest danger for somebody uh, like you? Like uh, like if I'm driving around in the area, what could happen to me if I'm not careful? Uh, so again, as soon as water begins covering the road surface and is moving across that road surface, you risk being swept away off of that road surface into an area where you truly have no control over your vehicle and you are at the whim of whatever direction that water chooses to take you. So the best tip is avoid travel while the storm is making its impact. Limit your travel, please. When you do come out, look for those road surfaces that are clear. If road damage does take place, that's a very different road that you were driving on for years coming in and out of your neighborhood. There's water over it. You don't know if that road still exists or not. 
All right, thanks so much. Uh, that is Eric Sherwin with the San Bernardino County Fire Department. We want you to stay connected with KNX all this weekend. We're going to have the very latest storm forecast and updates. We're going to keep you safe. It's not expected to be a hurricane when it does hit SoCal, but it could be the first tropical storm to make landfall here since 1939, which means we really don't know how to prepare as Southern Californians for this. Alex Tardy is a warning coordination meteorologist with the National Oceanic and Atmospheric Administration, or NOAA, in San Diego. Alex, thanks for joining us. So we talked to the San Bernardino Fire Department a little bit earlier about the biggest threat to us here, which was the heavy downpours and the flooding as far as being out and driving and uh, things like that. But what is the track going to be for this tropical event that's going to hit Southern California and who is going to be hit the hardest? Yeah, good afternoon. Thanks for having me on. Uh, So we just got the latest information, tropical cyclone Hillary. Um, It is a uh, category four, which is powerful. Um, And the latest information also indicates it's going to start to accelerate as we go into Saturday, meaning go faster uh, as it goes north. But it's still on track to make a direct hit into San Diego County. Uh, It may brush along the peninsula in Mexico. Uh, So we may see initially a little bit of landfall and it might go over the water again and then before it comes into Tijuana and San Diego. But it looks like late Sunday and Sunday night, uh, we are in store for a direct hit from Hillary. Yeah, and talk about that when we talk direct hit uh, San Diego. Now, a lot of people, now I'm from Florida, so I know hurricanes. I've lived through many of them. Uh, So I know a direct hit 100 miles away from me means I'm kind of getting a direct hit too. I think a lot of people don't understand when we're talking hurricanes, tropical storms, it's going to direct hit in San Diego. Oh, well, then we're okay. Well, we're not because it depends on where the strongest bands of uh, rain and and damaging winds are. Oh, that's, uh, yeah, absolutely correct. So, One thing we know for sure with this storm is it's got a lot of moisture and rain. So rain's going to be widespread, excessive, uh, potentially significant flooding in our desert areas and potential flooding even in our coastal metro areas. So not just a few thunderstorms, not just a mountain problem, but a widespread rainfall. And those that are near the eye center, San Diego, Orange County, Western Riverside, Uh, you're going to experience those tropical storm force winds. And that ultimately is what makes it, um, by definition, a certain strength when it hits landfall. And right now we're thinking tropical storm force winds, and that's why the first ever tropical storm watch was issued by the National Hurricane Center. Yeah, the first time, what, in 84 years here we're looking at. So a couple of things to keep in mind. I know the top five things that cause death or damage or injury to people. The top two things, of course, flooding and the other wind. You mentioned wind. People need to really heed the warnings because uh, small objects that get thrown around by high winds ultimately become basically little missiles And that could cause injury or death. People need to take that seriously. Also, we see a lot of times on the news people going to the coasts to watch the, you know, the waves raging. What do you have to say about that and people who want to look at Mother Nature that close? Yeah, um, I mean, it's natural, especially when something's um, unusual or very rare like this. we got to go back to 19... 39, where we really weren't issuing these type of products uh, when Long Beach got hit. 1997, Nora came up from the south, same track, veered to the right and went through the Imperial Valley 
crossing the Mexico border as a tropical storm. So a lot of people, you know, what's a tropical storm? So that means wind speeds of 40, 50 miles per hour, sustained, not just gusts. We'll see stronger gusts than that. Um, and so these are really strong winds. And now's the time to check out your yard. If you're in a flood prone area, um, make sure there's drainage or you have a plan uh, to get away from the rising water. If you have loose objects or branches and things like that, uh, remove them, put them somewhere else. Uh, today's a beautiful day, perfect time to do that. These will be widespread impacts from wind, rain, and don't forget the high surf as well um, if you're right on the waterfront where there'll be coastal flooding. Uh, if you've got a swimming pool, should we uh, drain it? <laughs> um, so I do have a swimming pool, and this winter I think I drained it five times because of all the atmospheric <laughs> rivers. So um, if you're keeping your pool at a normal level, it should be okay, but it may fill to the top. And so come Monday, Tuesday, you might look at having to drain it. Yeah, there you go. Yeah, one of the things you did mention, though, uh, as far as things, you know, checking drainage and all that kind of stuff, too, people here don't think about also checking the lawn furniture, the lawn chairs, the kids' toys in the back. All that stuff needs to be secured, right, and put away because uh, not only could that sail through the air and hit you, but also um, we have to be wary of windows and what's near the windows during these wind events. Yeah, it's true. Uh, a lot of times you'll see houses and there's palm tree uh, fawns and branches and other things just like hanging and dangling by the window. That's going to get whipped around and that's going to bang against the house. Um, the other thing, you know, we should mention, you know, travel, travel on Sunday. Let's say you go somewhere Saturday, you stay overnight Saturday night. Some of the roads may be impassable. Some roads might have mud and debris. If you're traveling eight o'clock in the evening on Sunday, it could become downright dangerous across a large portion of Southern California. All right. And Alex, uh, we're just about out of time in the segment here, but uh, can you give an additional warning to uh, TV weather people? You always see them out there on the high winds uh, holding on for dear life. Can can we can you maybe let them know that, hey, guys, you don't have to do that. Uh, we know that the winds are strong. Uh, yeah, I think as meteorologists, it's just kind of a natural tendency because we're wrong <laughs> okay. a lot. Right. So you want to go out there. Prove, yeah, we want to prove that we're right and we're in the elements. So. With my family, when I take pictures of snow when I go skiing, they're like, that looks like the last picture. I'm like, no, 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 no that's way more snow. <laughs> yeah. And so they're out there saying that this is way more wind and rain. All right. Alex Tardy, uh, Warning Coordination Meteorologist, National Oceanic and Atmospheric Administration in uh, San Diego. We are used to earthquakes. Uh, we're told to prepare for them. Of course, you don't get a lot of warning, uh, as you do with tropical storms. But it's the warnings for tropical storms that are strange for us in Southern California because we're not used to that. This is the first ever uh, tropical storm watch we've seen. Chris Reynolds is an emergency management expert and current dean of the American Public University System. Uh, thanks for joining us. Well, thank you. It's a pleasure to be here. So as we uh, get ready, we've kind of uh, briefly touched on some things you want to do. And there's some common sense items there. But, you know, common sense is not common, as you know. Uh, we yes. all know. Uh, not for me, not for you, not for anybody. Uh, so what are the, some of the things we're going to forget and not prepare for that we need to jot it down somewhere and do? Well, you know, that's a, that's a great point, a great question, too. You know, a lot of people don't realize that, uh, you know, they're going to need things if they go to shelters. They're going to need things like, uh, you know, their important papers. They want to make sure that they've got them with them because they don't want to lose those in a landslide or possibly in a flood, uh, you know, in a, in a storm surge. They want to make sure they have medications that they normally take with them. They also have to be considerate of their pets. If they've got pets and animals, they want to make sure they find a shelter that is pet friendly because you don't want to leave the pets behind. 
And also people should be capable of sustaining themselves for up to 72 hours. And that's generally the amount of time it takes for emergency management officials and responders to get to the area where, you know, where the people are. California is well used to wildfires and, and earthquakes, you know, as you, as you said, tropical storms and hurricanes uh, certainly are, are, are new to the state. And, you know, California can learn from what other states on the Atlantic Gulf Coast have done to prepare. And Chris, it is highly possible, especially in some of the areas that are going to see higher winds, that we could lose power. A lot of people could be without power. So does that factor into being able to sustain yourself for at least 72 hours on average until you can get some help from emergency systems and responders? It absolutely does. And that's a very good point. Most people will will elect to shelter in place unless they're in a, in a mandatory evacuation zone. Some things people can do at their homes is to fill the bathtubs. Make sure you've got palatable drinking water. Bathtubs are a great place to keep that, you know, for two or three days. In terms of power, if you've got generators, great portable generators work very well. However, you never want to run those indoors. You want to make sure that they're out in the open when you run them. Also, in terms of candles, you want to make sure that if you're utilizing candles for light, that they're uh, they're always in, in a location where they're not going to catch fire to, to the home or to the house. It's also very important, too, that family members, particularly children, keep occupied if they're sheltering in place because it's it's a very scary time for children. And you talked about losing power, and we are all used to our technology. We've got the uh, Internet, et cetera. I just got a notice on my phone from my Internet provider saying, hey, we're preparing for possible outages in your area. So the Internet might go down. But if your power goes out and you get all your streaming TV and your streaming audio, like listening to KNX, uh, you're going to have difficulties there. So how important is it for us to make sure we've got battery-powered radios and we're listening to KNX? Critical, critical, absolutely critical that – that people listen to KNX, particularly during hurricanes. And there are batteries are critical that you have a, a backup battery supply for radios, weather radios. They've also got radios that have a magneto built in that you can wind up that run. Uh, it's very important that they maintain communication, that folks listen to the, to the radio and listen for whatever warnings or alerts are coming out from the local emergency management, because that's the primary way that uh, emergency management officials are going to communicate to the public. And as you said, Internet and TV are likely to be down. And uh, what about cell service? We're so connected to our cell phones that we don't think about the fact that those could also go down, too. They can. So, in fact, that's one of the first casualties of a hurricane are cell locations. I actually reside in the state of Florida and been through many many hurricanes. And I can tell you that cell service is one of the first uh, disruptions that have occurred because the towers are high and the wind speeds often will disrupt them. You know, so people should, uh, you know, be aware that they may not have cell service, which again is even more important why they want to have batteries for their portable radios to listen to the local, you know, uh, radio and weather channels for instructions. All right. Thanks so much, uh, Chris Reynolds, emergency management expert. And uh, also, yeah, battery-powered radios. 97.1 FM is uh, how you listen to KNX over the year on the FM. We also have a simulcast on the AM side. Uh, get you lit for the coverage as well at uh, 1070 AM. So you want to k- stay connected to KNX all this weekend. We are going to have continuous storm coverage. You are listening to KNX In-Depth with Rob Archer. I'm Elsa Ramonin for Charles Feldman today. A new study out from the University of Michigan that finds that uh, binge drinking, pot smoking, vaping, and using hallucinogenic drugs are at an all-time high for adults across the country. Yeah, we're not just talking about music festivals here. Uh, The big question is, 
why. Laura Wright is a sober living coach and author of the book Beyond Sober. You put the you put down the booze. Now, <laughs> now what? <laughs> Thanks for joining us. One of the things from this study that just really stuck out to me was that marijuana use among middle-aged adults is nearly the same as that reported by high school seniors. How is that possible, and why is this happening? And the same with, with alcohol as well. Hi, thanks for having me. So marijuana, the legalization of marijuana across the country in our different communities, for people my age, you know, like Generation X, the adults whose kids are moving out of the house, um, it's legal now. So the guilt associated with breaking the law has been lifted, and that would lead lead a lot of people to think it's okay to smoke some marijuana. And and not just the marijuana, but the hallucinogenics. And I'm wondering, does this have to do with the fact that, uh, you know, we've got a generation of adults that grew up in an era of, you know, the, the drug culture that we saw in the 60s and 70s and 80s? And uh, is is it, does it have something to do with a bit of that? Where our, our ideas about drugs are a little bit different from the generations that came before. I would say that our ideas about drugs are definitely different from the generations that came before. Uh, my expertise and experience really lies a lot more with that alcohol consumption and binge drinking and, and that part of the study. But absolutely, um, as generations go through, um, as we age, you know, our experience when in the 60s, 70s, and 80s was drastically, drastically different than the experience our parents had. So we're probably open to more things. So another thing out of this study, it says, you know, for adults between 35 and 50 and even older, binge drinking, which is consuming five or more drinks in a row, reached its highest levels yet. Nearly 30 percent of the people in this study reported binge drinking. And that's a big increase, a steady increase since the last time this was looked at in 2012. D- did the pandemic have anything to do with this at all, or is this something else? Absolutely. 60% of Americans report that they drank more during the pandemic than at any other time in their lives. What were we doing when we were shut up, shut up into our homes? We learned how to use TikTok, we learned how to bake bread, and we learned how to drink. People drank during the pandemic, and a lot of people haven't been able to quit since. Hmm. Uh, and speaking of the binge drinking, you know, I, I kind of think of it's a way of dealing with anxiety for a lot of us and not just the pandemic, but we've got the political situation. We've got uh, we're dealing with climate change. We're dealing with uh, disasters that are surrounding you, depending on where you live. You've got tornadoes in some places. You've got the fires like we've seen in Maui. And it just seems a constant drumbeat of just disaster and anxiety producing things that is going to lead people who have an access to it to binge drink, isn't it? Oh, absolutely. So why do people drink? If you really break it down, people drink or do drugs because they want to feel different than they feel right now. And when you look at the news or your community is in uproar or you just went through a major life-changing event and you don't feel good, you want to feel differently. So for people who are prone to drinking, they're going to reach for alcohol. Sure. And I know you said your focus is really more on alcohol, but 
you do uh, cover addiction as a whole and understand it. Another thing that was really interesting about this study is that the middle-aged adults, and Rob touched on it before, talking about hallucinogens, but we're talking like LSD, MDMA, peyote, psilocybin, which is known as shrooms. Do you think what people are hearing in the media about uh, some of the potential effects on anxiety and depression, positive effects on anxiety and depression um, that are helped with things like psilocybin. Do you think that factors into people giving these things a try? Absolutely. You know, there's just so many things we don't know about how to treat anxiety, but what we do know is that a whole bunch of us have it. And we live in a culture where you go to the doctor or you go to your psychologist and you want to talk about how to how to deal with this anxiety and and the, the you're just given an array of pharmaceuticals that may or may not work for you um and so i think that the experimentation comes in in the idea of finding a natural way to deal with the anxiety of living in today's world yeah it's that idea of self-medicating when you read about oh they did a study where uh they microdose somebody with LSD and their anxiety went away. So if somebody reads that and that's the excuse, well, I'm going to drop some acid now because it's going to make me healthier. I, I think that, yes, that is a great um, excuse or scapegoat, yeah. you know, but what about the studies that say if you exercise every day, your anxiety levels will go yeah, down. Yeah, but that's work. Um, <laughs> right. But it works. It is work, but it does work. All right. Thanks. Thank you so much, Laura Wright, uh, Sober Living Coach. Thanks for joining us. Also, again, want to remind you that you can connect with us throughout today and all weekend long. We're going to have the latest on Hurricane Hillary as it approaches Southern California. Got the latest also on our website and even ways you can connect to some emergency solutions for you and your family on our website at knxnews.com. You know, a recent Reddit post went viral, and it's sparking a question again about why women prefer tall men, do oh, they? Hang on a second. Women prefer tall men? I have some thoughts on that. We'll, we'll, we'll get to that. Strange. But... All right. Uh, anyway, the poster on Reddit uh, claims that he is six foot three, but he was rejected for not fitting the height profile of a woman who is only five foot one. With us now is Bonnie Winston, celebrity matchmaker and uh, relationship expert. Thanks for joining us. Hi, thank you, and I'm happy to be here and so, comment on this. Yeah, let's get this out of the way, first of all, right, right off the bat before we get into anything else. Uh, there's nothing wrong with the short guy, right? No, not at all. In fact, uh, there are many men that are incredibly accomplished that are that you'd be surprised about their height throughout history and currently. I know that, uh, you know, you look at all the studies and you see that tall men, tall people in general are favored. Uh, you know, they get the higher salaries. They have the education. But I'm going to back you up on the shorter men thing because I'm five, two and a half, five, three on a good day. And my boyfriend is five, six. And we I mean, he is has the biggest personality and he's hilarious. He's successful. And I think if people just saw him on paper, they might pass someone like him up because he's five six. But I would have missed out on so much if I was just looking for height. I dated someone who was five seven, and it was ridiculous for oh, someone. Oh, the, the who... biggest jer- yeah, listen, I'm a veteran of the uh, single dating world. I've been married for more than twenty years, but I lived in L.A. I lived in New York, and I have to tell you. 
that the biggest jerk that I ever went out with was five foot, I'm sorry, was six foot five. And my husband is amazing. And he's five, seven and a half. And I've, you know, we have a wonderful marriage. There you go. I, uh, yeah, I think women don't want to date shorter men because of their own insecurities. And that's their problem. But they believe shorter. Yeah. Doesn't also go back to, you know, there's that built in stuff that we all try to get over because we're building civilization. But we still have these drives in us that come from way back when. And uh, and and those those drives are ridiculous. And they're done. Okay, but they are still there, aren't they? Yeah, well, I mean, I guess. Yes, I'm a professional matchmaker and, and women come to me with a whole bunch of dating criteria. But what I tell them is, if you knew what was so good for you, you wouldn't be coming to me. So let's try this. Let's something out, right? So yes, some women believe that shorter men cannot protect them, um, which is ridiculous. Not true. Bruce Lee. Bruce (laughs) Lee was five foot seven. Um, Martin Luther King, five six and a half. Um, You know, throughout history, I mean, I could give you a list of a hundred people that that people would be shocked about. Whether it is, you know, Academy Award winners or. Uh, Albert Einstein or sure actors you know. a, a lot of people are really yeah. shocked to find out that their favorite actors they have crushes on uh men Tom in particular and Tom Cruise is incredibly you know he he gives a much taller appearance because he's perfectly proportioned so even though he's five foot seven if he's standing there he looks six feet um, you know, it's not, you know, who wants a guy who's six feet, who's a pot, you know, who's, who's got a dad bod, not that there's anything wrong with the dad bod. Yeah, but in other thank words, you. Thank you. Who's, yeah. But what I'm saying is he's so perfectly proportioned and, you know, incredible that he doesn't give a short appearance. Okay. Um, ult- ultimately yeah. though, you're a matchmaker and ultimately yes. whether you're tall or short dad bod or not. It's going to come down to the chemistry, right? I mean, let's not yes. knock tall or people. Or the cash. Or the cash. Yeah. In L.A., yeah. And that goes for men and women. Yeah, but, you know, at the end of the day, we're all the same height in bed. Like, you, you know, well. like you're not, you're not standing up and, I mean, I don't know. I just think. Um, I, I have to. It, I, it, I know it, that saying yeah. has been going around, but I dated someone six seven. It just didn't. It just, just well, it, just it, had, didn't it had to hurt your neck. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Let, and, let, and, let me ask and, you this you know before and, bef- yeah. before we go. Uh, there's also yeah. another aspect of it too. Uh, that is uh, this culture and the way that our cultures changed. You know, way back in the olden days when men didn't allow women to have jobs or go out and do things on their own, yes. and now things have changed more or less. You know. We're still short of parity, but women are able to go out and make their way in the world today, make their own money, become wealthy, invest, become entrepreneurs, whatever they want to do. And now they have that uh, that kind of perch that men used to have. They can look for partners who fit their ideas of uh, handsomeness, beauty, intelligence, what what have you. They can be more choosy, whereas before only the men got the right to be choosy. Yeah, you could say choosy or you could say just as shallow as the men. We have, oh. the, you know, women have the right now to be as shallow as the men always were and dictate height. And look, I wish they could clone Macron, you know, the president of France. <laughs> that man is my hero. He, his wife is 24 years older than him. So, right. you know, yeah, I, yeah. 
Yeah. I mean, but then again, it's France. So, you know, we're not really <laughs> sure. I mean, uh, you know, Mitterrand, I mean, you know, it's a, just a different, you know, society. Mitterrand yes, yes. at his funeral had his wife and kids on the left side and mistress and the kid on the right side. So, you know, whatever. Hey, but it, I, I, yeah. it's yeah. good to be, it's good to be prime minister. Yeah, yeah. I, I don't want to reach that point here. All right. Uh, thank you so much, uh, Bonnie Winston, celebrity matchmaker and uh, relationship expert. Yeah, I'm just under. I'm just under six. I think I used to be six, but you know, as you get older, you shrink. Yes. But my wife is is definitely very much shorter than I am. That's how you guys are. She's small. You're, you're, yeah. Yeah. You guys, yeah. it works. You she know? looks up to me, and obviously, there's something wrong with her because she hasn't left me yet. <laughs> So, you know, that's that's no. a that's a factor too. Uh that's gonna do it for KDX in depth. Uh we will be back all the way on Monday at one PM. And don't forget, please, uh for your own safety and for the safety of your family, stay up to date on what's happening with Hurricane Hillary as it takes aim at Southern California and continue listening to KNX all the many different ways that you can.